I've never seen a diamond in the flesh I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movies And I'm not proud of my address In a torn up town, no postcode envy But every song's like gold teeth, grey goose dripping in the bathroom Bloodstains, ball gowns, trash in the hotel room And we'll never be royal. It's a run in our blood. That kind of love's just ain't for us. We crave a different kind of buzz. Let me be your ruler. You can call me Queen Bee. And baby, I'll Let me live that fantasy. Hi, fun seekers. It is Wednesday afternoon. So, a very good Wednesday to you. A very good Wednesday indeed. Today, the subject before the house is, should a Christian be wealthy? Let me give you a little context for this. On November 20th, 2014, I featured a blog post on frankviola.org written by Shane Claiborne entitled, quote, is it okay for a Christian to be rich? End of quote. And many of you who read that post offered your opinion. Some of you reacted quite strongly against the article, and others of you reacted quite agreeably to the article. And then some philosophized, and some pontificated, and some weighed in with their emotions. Oh, man. Consequently, it was a very interesting post. And at the end of it, I promised that I would weigh into the subject, and that's what this podcast is. Let me introduce the subject by making this comment. There are two things that reveal the human heart more than anything else. One is your wallet. Another is your calendar. In other words, what you do with your money and what you do with your time reveals more about what you believe than whatever confession you make with your lips. Many Bible teachers have pointed out that Jesus spoke about money more than he did any other topic. And if you were to do a count, the sin that's condemned the most in the Bible, meaning the sin that's condemned more times than any other sin, is idolatry. And right next to it is covetousness, which can be translated greed or materialism or consumerism. It is the love of possessions and the desire for more. John calls it the lust of the eyes in one of his epistles. And strikingly, In Colossians, Paul points out that covetousness, that covetousness is in fact idolatry. Consequently, greed, materialism, consumerism is one of the most frequently mentioned sins in all of Holy Writ. Now then, I want to launch into a reading of a number of scriptural texts from both the Old and New Testament, but I believe answer the question, should a Christian be wealthy? But at the very end, I'm going to add my concluding thoughts. So I want you to hang with me and listen to everything from here on out. You do not know how I'm going to conclude this podcast, but I want you to get the breadth of all of these texts put together. Because when I begin to make my points, I think it will help give perspective. 
Matthew 6 verses 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. 1 Timothy 6 verses 7 to 10. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Matthew 6 verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Hebrews 13 verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Proverbs 11.28 Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Matthew 6 verse 33 But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And part of those things in the context are food and shelter and clothing. Acts 20 verse 35, And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs 11 verse 24 to 25, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want, lack. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Luke 6 verse 20, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Psalm 62 verse 10, Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. 1 John 2 verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Philippians 4 verses 11 to 12. Note that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Mark 10 verse 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Luke 12, verse 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. James 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 10. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. James 1, verses 9 to 12. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. 
For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 1 Timothy 6 verses 17 to 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Proverbs 30 verses 8 to 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Colossians 3 verse 5. Put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Some translations say covetousness. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. James 5 verses 1 to 5, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let me give a word about context there. Paul Tarsus was in prison, and the church in Philippi had given him an enormous gift. And his response to that was, My God will supply your need, which echoes the many passages in both Old and New Testament that if you give, it shall be given unto you. 1 John 3, verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Mark 4, 19, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Proverbs 27 verse 24 For riches do not last forever and does a crown endure to all generations? Luke 16, 19-26 there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Luke 6.24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. 
Matthew 19, verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Proverbs 28, verse 22. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Proverbs 11:4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Acts 4, 32 to 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, there are many, many more texts I could have read, but I felt like that was sufficient to give you a window into seeing something of the Lord's heart when it comes to wealth and riches. This last passage that I read, Acts 4, 32 to 35, should be looked at in comparison with 2 Corinthians 9, the whole passage, because they're echoes of the latter in the former. The church in Jerusalem had a season in which they shared all things in common. One of the things that is misunderstood by some Christians who read that is they think that that was a universal practice of all the churches, and it was clearly not. As I point out in the untold story of the New Testament church, the church in Jerusalem was the only church on earth. It was where the twelve apostles lived. It was the first expression of the body of Christ on the planet. And Jews from all over the Roman world had descended into Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And many of them, 3,000 men, were converted to Christ and didn't want to leave and go back home. They wanted to stay and learn what this thing was all about. They wanted to learn from the apostles about Jesus. They wanted to stay together with the other new converts from all over the Roman Empire. So they quit their jobs they sold their possessions so that they could stay in Jerusalem. So immediately you had a deluge, an avalanche of people from all over the Roman Empire who were in need of a place to stay and jobs. And so the church, the ecclesia, because it's instinctive to our species as Christians, immediately let go of all their possessions, pulled the money into a pot and had the apostles distribute it to those who had need. The takeaway here is not that every Christian needs to live in a commune because the other churches did not do this. The key takeaway is that the Christians, God's people, had a spiritual instinct to meet and to meet continually, and this is clear from Acts 2, and to take care of one another. And when there are times of crisis, the body of Christ, if she's following her instincts, will in fact forsake its possessions and do what the church in Jerusalem did. Now, laying that aside, let me get back to the question. What is my opinion on Shane Claiborne's question, is it okay for a Christian to be rich? Or, the way I put it in this episode, should a Christian be wealthy? A few observations. Number one, I think it's the wrong question. The valid question here it really is not, is it wrong to gain wealth? Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows over time. Proverbs 10.4, lazy people are soon poor, hard workers gain wealth. 
Proverbs 21.5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So the question is not, is it wrong to gain wealth? The question is, what are you doing with the wealth that you gain? The question is not, do you have possessions? The question is, what are you doing with the possessions that you have? And how tied up is your heart in those possessions? The question is, how much are you giving to those in need who are less fortunate than you? Another point, the Holy Spirit will bring the rest of this message if you have ears to hear. Now, I will point something out to you that is painfully unobvious to many believers. Jesus said, if any man is willing to obey, he will know. Dot, dot, dot. You can find that in the Gospels. If your heart is set on your possessions and your money, you will not hear the Holy Spirit if he puts his finger on this issue. You will justify and rationalize it away. And this is a particular shortcoming of Americans who live in a very wealthy society compared to other parts of the world. And not only that, but we live in a time wherein ministers of the gospel have made money a god and clothed it in religious rhetoric, proof texts, and wrapped it in swaddling clothes. I cannot tell you, nor will I tell you, what your income level needs to be, what kind of car or cars you need to drive, how many TV sets you should have in your home, what your budget should be for clothing, how much money you should store up or save up in the bank, and even if savings is incongruence with the Christian ethic. That is not my place. I would never do that. But the Spirit of God will show you if you're open to Him. He will show you how much you should be spending on yourself. He will show you how much you should be spending on others. And I will tell you that the line will will most likely be different for different people. Once a person starts to stipulate a universal rule in this area of money and possessions, they have become a legalist. So let me repeat what I said before. If your heart is open to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and your ears are tuned to respond to whatever he shows you, he will reveal to what degree your heart is tied to money. He will reveal to what degree your heart is tied to possessions. He will reveal to you how much you ought to be giving and how much you ought to be saving and how much you ought to be keeping. And the Christian who gets very angry on this topic is revealing one thing and one thing only, and that is there's a heart problem here. Now, I'm going to give you three resources to go deeper. One is a book entitled Love Not the World by Watchman Nee. It is beyond peer in this area of a hidden dimension of money, dimension of money that is rarely, if ever, talked about, let alone understood. He talks about the spirit of mammon. The money is to be used, but there is a spirit attached to it. And Jesus often talked about this. So Love Not the World, you can find the book on discount if you go to frankviola.org forward slash top 100. It's one of the best 100 books I've ever read. Secondly, there's a blog post on my blog entitled Following Your Spiritual Instincts Regarding the Poor. And you can just look for it in the search window on the blog, frankviola.org. And then there is a book entitled Jesus, A Theography. 
by Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola, and in it we explore Jesus as a day laborer, Jesus as a blue-collar worker, Jesus as a working-class hero. What level of income? What social strata did Jesus of Nazareth live in? What was his example in terms of money, in terms of the economy? What was his economic status? What kind of neighborhood did he live in? Did he grow up in? I think this is very illuminating because some have made Jesus out to be a peasant, an extremely poor person. Others have made him out to be akin to a merchant, a wealthy man that lived in luxury. Read the chapter on his life, and I think it will open up some things. And then if you want to look at Shane Claiborne's original article, just search my blog, Is It Okay for a Christian to Be Rich? Whether you agree with everything he says or not, it's worth reading. So there you have it, sisters and brothers. Take a look at those resources. Spend some time thinking about this. And if you're married, talk it over with your spouse. It is very common for spouses to have a very different view on this subject. Nonetheless, it's something you would probably want to consider discussing and praying about. And in time, perhaps come to a different perspective. Until next time, be good. Count our dollars on the train to the party And everyone who knows us knows That we're fine with this We didn't come for money But every song's like gold teeth, gray goose Dripping in the bathroom, bloodstains, ball gowns Trash in the hotel room, we don't care We're driving Cadillacs in our dreams But everybody's like crystal Crave a different kind of buzz Let me be